Hello, the Bible reading today is from Acts seventeen sixteen thirty four. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. After that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman called Damaris, and a number of others. There we go. Good to be with you. Um, my name's Matt, uh, if you didn't pick it up before from the kids' talk. Uh, and just in case you haven't been with us, we're doing a series at the moment on the topic of mission. Uh, we're in week three out of four this week. And really, uh, what we're doing with this series, I guess, is we're thinking about uh, our motivations behind why we do mission. Um, so we're asking questions like, why do Christians believe that they have a mission? Why do we do uh, evangelism, is a word we might use. Uh, we've been saying that it's important to talk about our motivations because uh, we think it's true that mission can be hard sometimes. When things are hard, they kind of create a bit of pain and it can create a pain barrier for us. And so if we want to kind of push through that pain barrier, we need to know what our motivations are so that we keep going with Christian mission. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been speaking about the Tour de France as an illustration of this, uh, but the Tour de France is over now, so I thought I'd give you something different. Um, Footy finals. Here we go. Footy finals. Sorry if you don't like my sport illustrations. Um, 
maybe Port will lose this Thursday and then I'll go back to pretending I don't know anything about sport for a few weeks. Uh, but footy finals, they kick off this Thursday. Uh, when you're playing a game of footy, uh, there's going to be some pain involved, right? You're going to take some hits. You're going to have to endure some strong tackles. In the fourth quarter, your muscles are going to be screaming at you to stop. And so if you want to keep playing till the end and push through that pain barrier, well, you better know what your motivations are, your motivations that are going to make you keep going and push through that pain barrier. Uh, you want to know what's at stake. What's at stake. And for a footy player, there's, there's quite a bit at stake, isn't there? There's the chance to win a premiership. Uh, there's you know individual awards. I guess how they play is going to end up influencing how much money they make. So you know there's a fair bit at stake for a footy player. So they push through that pain barrier and they keep playing to the end. And here's my point for us today as we think about Christian mission. I think if we want to keep going in Christian mission, we need to know what's at stake. In fact, I'm not sure we'll have any chance of keeping on going with Christian mission unless we're conscious of what's at stake. Because when telling people about Jesus is hard, when it creates that awkwardness, when we start taking some hits, the question is, what is it going to take for us to keep in, keep going with Mission, what's it going to take for us to push through that pain barrier? Uh, do we know what's at stake? Now, spoiler alert, when we talk about Christian mission and what's at stake, the things that are at stake are things like whether or not God gets the glory that he's due. It's things like heaven and hell. It's eternity that's on the line. That is what Christians believe. These are the spiritual realities that we believe are true. It's, there are big things at stake. And so, by the way, a warning, we are talking about big things this morning. And to be honest, I don't think we can talk about Christian mission without talking about these big things that are are at stake. Uh, But here's the thing. You can believe in these sort of spiritual realities. You can kind of know with your mind um, what is at stake. And I take it for those of us who are here who are Christians, we do do believe these things that are on the line. But uh, my point this morning is a bit more than that. And it's, uh, it's the question of, are we conscious of what's at stake? Do we... Do we feel what's at stake? There's a reason why when you get to footy finals towards the end of the year, uh, the intensity of the matches goes up a few notches. The hits are harder, the pressure's higher, and the rules haven't changed from earlier in the season, have they? But what has changed is that the players are conscious of what's at stake. They know the stakes are high, and those high stakes lead to action. They play harder. When we think about Christian mission, Are we aware of what's at stake? Are we conscious of those spiritual realities? And do we let those spiritual realities motivate us? Do those realities lead to action? Or are we kind of happy to just push them to the back of our minds and not think about them? Well, let me show you where we're going to go today. uh, And then we'll jump back into our our passage and we'll uh, talk about the Apostle Paul again. The Apostle Paul's in Athens this week. Uh, we're going to see that Paul was someone who was very conscious of the spiritual realities. Uh, so I've got these, these three points for us this morning. Uh, number one, the reality of our situation. Number two, the reality of our task. And number three, uh, spiritual realities in the real world. Uh, so that's where, you, where we're going to go. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 17 this morning, as we've had read. Uh, it's a very famous passage, and we're only going to uh, have time to talk about bits of it. But uh, let's start by having a look at just verse 16. I don't know if it's going to come up, but here we go. I I think we've got a little bit of a problem with our Bible reading, but 
um, on the screen, but uh, if you've got your Bibles open, do have a look with me. Um, Paul's actually on his, own, uh, on his own at this point. He's been separated from his traveling party. He's hanging out in Athens, uh, and his friends are going to come meet him. And so he's got time to spend. And so he's walking around Athens, and verse 16 says, uh, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. This is someone who doesn't just know with his mind the spiritual realities. He is someone who's conscious of the spiritual realities that are behind the scenes. Plenty of people would kind of walk around a place like Athens and look at the, uh, the, the idols and the altars and maybe admire the craftsmanship and, you know, think, oh, you know, there's some cool little statues. Um, you know, that's interesting, you know, kind of do the touristy thing. Um, but when Paul looks around Athens, this is what he sees. He says, this is idolatry. He says, these people are worshipping, giving glory to bits of rock rather than giving glory to the God who made them. This is, it's kind of terrible. It's kind of tragic. This is God not getting the glory he deserves. And so Paul, it says in verse 16, he was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed. It's the response of someone who's ready to look beyond what's right in front of him and look to the spiritual realities that are below the surface. That's what Paul's doing. Now, I can see this picture's come up on the screen. I don't know about you, but I, um, I find it quite hard sometimes to kind of look below the surface and, and think about something that's not right there in front of me, hitting me in the face. So uh, I've got this picture to tell you, give you a little example of this. Um, this is me and Annika. Uh, last year, we got to go to France. We're very lucky. Me and Annika, there's Annika and Lucy. Um, sorry to rub it in for those of you who are missing travel this year, but um, this is a lovely little walk we went on. Uh, it was very pretty. And, you know, in many ways, it was just pretty much the same as just walking up Mount Lofty or something. Um, Except that in Europe, when you go to the top of the hill, you often find things like these amazing castles, which I think there's two castles. I think one was from the 11th century, one was from the 13th century. You know, you clamber up this walk and there's some old castles. Uh, and it's amazing to look around and um, looking around, you know, what did, I, what did I see with my eyes? Some cool old buildings, some cool old stonework. Uh, but what kind of blows my mind is when you think about it for a second and you think about the fact that 800 years ago, this was where lots of people lived. Yeah, it kind of boggles my mind. People actually lived in these castles. People lived here, died here, lived their lives here. We don't even know their names or anything like that. Here I am, you know, 800 years later, clambering over some trees and bits of rock. And it's almost, I almost find it hard to believe, right, that 800 years ago, people actually lived here. Like, it's, um, it's a bit mind-boggling, I find. I don't know if you ever have thought the same thing when you've gone to somewhere that's got a lot of history like that. And and here's my point. There is often more than meets the eye. There's often more than meets the eye. I might find it hard to believe that people really did live in these castles hundreds of years ago. It might be hard for me to imagine that happening. It might blow my mind a little bit, but I know it's true, don't I? As you walk around Adelaide, it might be hard to believe that there's a spiritual reality that's below the surface. You know, people look pretty happy. They're going about their lives, but Often there is more than meets the eye. Plenty of people would walk around Athens and just see bits of rock, pretty harmless. Uh, but that's not what Paul sees. What's the spiritual reality underneath? Idolatry. People not treating God as God. People desperately separated from their creator. It might be hard to believe that that is the true spiritual situation uh, that the people of Athens were in. Um, 
And, and Paul gets it. He's, he's greatly distressed. He knows what's at stake. Um, and so he goes to the synagogues. He talks to people in the marketplace. It causes a stir, and so he's brought before the Areopagus. The Areopagus was sort of the guardians of Athens' culture and their philosophy and their religion. And they like new ideas, so they give him a chance to speak. Uh, and in verse 22, this is what Paul says. Go to verse 22 with me. It's when he gets to finally address these spiritual realities. He says, uh, it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. There are spiritual realities you don't know about, Paul says. There's more than meets the eye. Let me tell you about the situation that you're in. In verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The spiritual reality is that there is a real God who really did make everything that you see and touch. And he doesn't live in your little altars or in your temples. The very breath that you're taking right at this very moment comes from him. It might be hard, hard to believe that that is the spiritual reality according to Paul. Now, if we skip forward to verse 30, he then says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Another spiritual reality, God, this God who is really there, is a God of justice. And there is a day that is set, a day coming where he will judge. He's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. These are big things, aren't they? These, these spiritual realities. There is a God who made everything, including us. A day coming soon where everyone who died will rise again and be judged. Those who trust in Jesus will receive eternal life. Those who don't will receive punishment in hell. If we're only paying attention to the things that are on the surface, you know, enjoying our nice coffee on a Monday morning, it can be kind of hard to believe that that is the spiritual reality below the surface. But that is the real situation we're in. But what does Paul say? We have the proof because Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus did rise from the dead, if that's true, then this moment of resurrection and judgment of heaven and hell, this moment has already begun with Jesus. We are in a desperate, urgent situation because the day when everyone else will rise and be judged is set. It gets closer Every day. I think if we're going to talk about what it means to be a church on mission, uh, we need to talk about these things because this is, this is what is at stake. And so if this really is the reality of our situation, let's talk about then uh, our second point. The reality of our task. Because if it's true that this is the desperate spiritual situation we're in, well, it's also true that evangelism then uh, in evangelism, we have a desperate and urgent task ahead of us. Uh, I, I kind of think of the task of evangelism then a little bit like um, the Battle of Dunkirk. I don't know if you know the story of Dunkirk from World War II or maybe you've seen the movie 
Um, it's a really good movie, by the way. If you ever watch it, turn the sound up loud because it's got this great soundtrack. I often find when I'm kind of feeling lazy or I'm not feeling very productive, I put the Dunkirk soundtrack on because it's just so intense. It kind of scares me into action. It's sort of... This is, this is the story of Dunkirk, if you don't know what happened. It was early in World War II. Uh, the German Blitzkrieg has gone across Europe and the Allies are quickly pushed back and basically uh, the entire Allied army becomes trapped on Dunkirk Beach in the north of France. Half a million soldiers trapped on a beach and the Germans kind of know that they can just fly over the top, fly over the top and just pick off the soldiers. Um, so there's not much time. It's a very urgent situation, very desperate situation. Half a million lives are hanging in the balance. And really, if the army was destroyed, um, that was going to go a long way towards Germany winning the war. And if you know what happened in Dunkirk, you'll uh, know that the English put out a call for help. And across the English Channel came uh, something like 800 boats, I think they think. think like 800 boats. And a few of them were military boats, but mostly they were civilian boats. They were things like fishing boats, yachts, houseboats, merchant boats. Just ordinary English people came across in their hundreds and they managed to safely evacuate about 85% of the army uh, and bring them back to England and back to safety. Uh, in many ways, it was perhaps the moment where the war was won. Uh, the army was saved. I want you to imagine for a second being one of the English boat owners on that day. Um, you're sitting there in your seaside town back in England. It's probably a nice sunny day. Well, probably not sunny. It's England, but um, <laughs> it's probably hard to believe in some ways that just over there, just across the water, there are half a million people whose lives are hanging in the balance. And it might be hard to believe. It might be hard to imagine, but at the same time, you know that that's the reality. And so, would you act? You've got a boat. You can help. Well, if Dunkirk was a desperate and urgent situation, how much more is that the case today for those of us who believe the Bible? We believe that there are lives on the line. In fact, even more so, there is eternity on the line. There is so much at stake. We have the boats. We have the gospel. We have the means to save people. And so will we act? Will we act? Sometimes, unfortunately, churches, I think when it comes to being on mission, rather than acting like we're on a rescue boat, we uh, can kind of act like we're on a cruise ship. We, we're just here for a good time. We're happy to maybe have some friends with us. Um, you know, we might complain a little bit about the music or the food. Um, but if we're going to believe what the Bible says and we're going to take it seriously, uh, that means we have a dire task ahead of us. We're not on a cruise, we're on a rescue mission. We need to act. So let's think for a minute then about um, exactly kind of what this task then looks for us, looks like for us at Trinity Church Brighton. Uh, we're not talking about soldiers, but we are talking about lives, right? So uh, I think uh, if we just think about the state that we live in for a minute, South Australia, if I put this on the screen, um, Cameron's used this before, if it looks a bit familiar to some of you. Uh, let's, let's think about the scale of the task before us, because uh, we know that in South Australia, there's something like 1.7 million people, uh, maybe closer to 1.8 now, but we're, we're talking about spiritual reality. So what's the spiritual reality that's below the surface? How many of this, these 1.7 million people have got their relationship with the living God sorted. Oh, well, I've got a couple of stats here. If we go back to the 2011 census, uh, we find that 57% of South Australians said they were Christians. 
and I don't know what your reaction is to that. Maybe you think, oh, it's not maybe quite so bad, but uh, still, there's a lot of white dots on that little screen, isn't there? A lot of people who don't know Jesus, and we know we know beneath the surface that those people are still in urgent danger. Uh, but here's where things get worse. The 2016 uh, census comes along. The government system's all crashed. Do you remember that? And in South Australia, the number of Christians drops to 49%. Really, I think that has to show us that lots of those people who liked the idea of calling themselves Christian uh, aren't calling themselves Christian anymore. But then a census is just, you know, tick a box or write something down. Here's, here's what McCrindle found uh, when they did a more careful survey in 2016. They found that 34% of people think that Jesus is Saviour and Lord. Starting to be a lot more white dots on that screen, isn't there? And of course, we think probably that saying Jesus is Lord probably does need to translate to wanting to be part of his people. Uh, but this is how many people attend church, uh, say, how many people say they attend church um, at least once a month. Only 14.5%. And you know, the real kicker is, if you actually do the math, then you work out, okay, 14.5% of people attending church once a month. And even if you assume they only attend church once a month, there's about 450 churches in Adelaide. So it actually means on average we should see about 210 people at every church every Sunday. And I, I don't actually think that's what we observe. There's so many churches out there with 10, 20, 30 people in them. So I wonder if the numbers are actually even far worse than what we see here. I don't know exactly how many people are unprepared for Jesus' return in this state, how many people will be on the wrong side of God's justice on that day when Jesus does return to judge. I don't know, 1.6 million, 1.7 million, 1.5 million. can't see it being a lot less than that. However, exactly the stats play out. We are talking about a desperate and an urgent task, aren't we? When it comes to mission, there is, there is a serious amount at stake. And of course, the good news is we have the gospel, isn't it? The good news is Jesus has risen. In 2020, with coronavirus, we've been dealing with a pretty scary situation. And more and more, the talk has now been about the vaccine. And I'm sure that's not going to go away for the next few months. How effective is the vaccine going to be? Can we get enough for the 1.7 million people in South Australia? And when it comes to evangelism, the good news is that in the gospel, we have something way more powerful, way more effective than a vaccine. Uh, Jesus has died and his blood satisfies God's justice. His resurrection is the start of the, the general resurrection when all who trust him will rise to eternal life. But imagine if a COVID vaccine came out and people just kept it all for themselves. We have the gospel, we have the vaccine, we have the boats. We know that lives hang in the balance. They're only, just, they're only just out there. And so will we act? Will we share the gospel with others? The reality of our situation, the reality of our task, spiritual realities in the real world. Uh, this, is, this is heavy stuff, isn't it? Can I ask, how do you, how do you feel about this? I know it's... Nice sometimes just to be able to focus on what's on the surface and enjoy all the good things that God's given us. And it can kind of be overwhelming, really, when we think about those spiritual realities that we do believe are there under the surface. People worshipping things other than God, a, a coming day of judgment, heaven and hell. I don't know exactly um, 
what you think about all this stuff. I'm sure there's probably some of us here who are unconvinced that these things really are true, and I, I get that, but please do keep wrestling, because Paul was certainly convinced, and he had seen the risen Jesus with his own eyes. Some of us, I'm sure, find the size and the stakes of this task just overwhelming. I certainly count myself in that number. One thing to say is that you haven't been with us in the last couple of weeks and you are feeling some of these things, it's, uh, it'd be great to get online and listen to what we've been speaking about because uh, we do need to balance what we've spoken about today with uh, especially what we spoke about last week. This is God's mission. The Holy Spirit is the director of God's mission. We're not on our own. Big things can start small. There is good reason to be confident. Uh, but I want us to finish this morning by uh, just for a few more minutes thinking about where this hits the ground in the real world. And I've come up with three quick things for us. Um, first one, people believe in spiritual realities. I will talk today about these realities that I've said are under the surface. I think one thing we sometimes do assume is that people in our city, uh, they really only believe what's right in front of them. They believe in science, what they can see and touch. There is no spiritual reality. We think, perhaps most people think, that that's all there is, what you can see and touch. And of course, there are people like that, and our job is to talk to them about why they believe that and engage with them. Uh, but the truth is that people who believe that are actually still, I think, in a small minority. The truth is we're more like Athens, I think. There are lots of people who believe in something. God, maybe, maybe it's a bit more like Athens again, you know, an unknown God. Something out there that we, uh, but we just don't know what it is really. Maybe it's the universe or something like that. Maybe it's just spirits and a spiritual world that's out there, some people believe. And so I think actually for us in 2020, the example of Paul in Athens is still a good one. He looks around, he sees the altars, he sees the spirituality, he sees their altar to an unknown God. And he doesn't just knock it down and try and destroy it straight away, he uses it. He says, you know, you, you want to talk about a God you don't know? Well, actually, I do know him and I can tell you about him. Of course, we don't encourage idolatry. We don't encourage people to go and try out all sorts of different spiritualities. But what I would say is that there are plenty of people who are interested in spiritual stuff, spiritual realities. And I say, if you want to have a conversation about the spiritual, well, let's let's do it. Let's talk about it. And, and let's do it quick, because actually I believe that the spiritual realities are deadly serious and that they're seriously real. I think we shouldn't be afraid to have a conversation. You know, what do you think? What do I think? Second way I think this hits the ground. I think we need to work out how to tell our friends the truth about what we believe. I think we need to work out how we tell our friends the truth about what we believe. That we do believe God is real, that we do believe heaven and hell are real, and we desperately want our friend to come and know Jesus. I think we need to work out how to let our friends know that that's what we believe in. I think it's just enough if they know that I'm a Christian and I kind of just think Christianity is kind of a cool thing. Somehow I think we need to let them know we do believe there's a hell and we do believe it's really bad. And that's probably not how you start your conversation with your friend. We, and we need to work out how we let our friends know that we, we love them too and that we're on their side. And uh, the last thing we want to do is just come across as super judgmental. But um, have, you ever, have you ever read this quote? It's from a guy called Penn Jillette. He's an American comedian. Uh, he's an atheist. Uh, this is what he says. 
sorry, that's just a white square. I was meant to be a picture of him. Um, he's invisible. This is what Pendulet says. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, then you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would, be, uh, it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, that is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. I think he really gets it, doesn't he? Now, I wish I could give you great advice on uh, what's the right time to speak to your friends about this or how, or um, you know, what's the best way to talk to your friend who doesn't believe about these things. Not necessarily an easy thing to do. But here's what I can say. At the end of the day, um, if you won't say anything to them, why is that? Is it because you love them? Or actually, is it that you don't really love them? Perhaps you love having the relationship with them a little bit more than you actually love them. Because you're not willing to put your relationship at risk to tell them what you really believe. Third and final way this hits the ground, I think. Don't forget to turn it back to praise. If you're, if you're like me and you think about this stuff, the stakes are really high. Yes, it's, you know, it's incredible motivation to keep going, to push through that pain barrier and keep telling people about Jesus. Uh, but the stakes are really high. You might feel overwhelmed talking about eternal realities. You might feel upset about the idea that God is a God who will judge. Uh, but, but here's the thing. It also reminds us how incredible it is that he's saved us. It also reminds us how incredible it is that he saved us because it reminds us what he saved us from. Here's, uh, here's how Francis Chan puts it. There we go. He does have a photo. That's what Francis Chan says. He says, while hell can be a paralyzing doctrine, it can also be an energizing one for it magnifies the beauty of the cross. Hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of the cross. It brings to light the enormity of our sin and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. Christ freely chose to bear the wrath that I deserve so that I can experience life in the presence of God. How can I keep from singing, crying and proclaiming his indescribable love? I think that's right. If God was a God who gave us what we deserved, well, judgment and hell would be the reality for all of us. But he's not. He, he's a God who came to earth. He went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He is the God of love. And there is no greater love than the love that Jesus showed by dying for his people. These are big things. I'm going to finish there, but first I'm going to pray for us. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple of minutes I'd like us just to have some time in just quiet reflection. It's big stuff we've talked about today, uh, so it'd be good to take some time to reflect and pray yourself if you'd like to do that. And then after a couple of minutes, I'm going to invite, uh, I'm going to get David and Daniel to come up and they're going to come and play a song for us. I kind of think of all the weeks where we're not able to sing. It's such a shame that we can't, isn't it? I kind of feel like Francis Chan, Chan you know, how can, I, how can I keep from singing um, this morning? But we, we're going to listen to a song. Uh, first, I'll pray some time to reflection and then uh, David and Daniel will come up. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we come before you humbly this morning. Help us to be uh, like the Apostle Paul. Help us to see more than what's on the surface. Help us to see the spiritual realities of our world. The reality that you are God and that this is your world. The reality that there is a day of judgment. There is a day of resurrection. 
Help us not just to always push these things to the back of our minds, but help us to dwell on these things, wrestle with these things, and let them motivate us to go about our mission. Help the high stakes to not overwhelm us, but help them to lead us to action. Most of all, Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus and that in his death and resurrection is our salvation. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.